Don't shame your children for repeating negative talk that they've heard their parents say. In the Blend is a podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life. This series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. Hello and welcome to In The Blend. In today's episode, we're tackling the subject of how to deal with your ex in a productive way, which is sometimes much easier said than done. Let's face it, when you have kids together, you and your ex are likely going to be in each other's lives for a long while, whether you like it or not. So ideally, this is something that you can try to conquer. I know this is a subject that my partner Matt is still continually refining and a topic that I think many blended family parents I chat with often struggle with as emotions like anger, resentment, or others relating to a whole array of issues can often get in the way. My guest today is Dr. Sonia Can Milland, a step family counsellor who has personal experience too, being a step and biological mother of five children. As well as having a PhD, she's also the author of three published works relating to step families and without question an authority when it comes to navigating some of these issues. Welcome, Sonia, and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I know there are lots of questions going through my mind in relation to this topic, and I think often there can be animosity with an ex after a breakup. So if you have children together, it's often a long road ahead for both parties, especially if they're, if they're young children. Just to get started, I'd love to know what are some of the reasons that might typically cause things to go south between two separated co-parents? Yeah, well, firstly, thanks, Laura, for having me on the show. It's a real honour. Yeah, things, there can be a lot of animosity between couples after, after a breakup. There are so many reasons and lots of personal reasons, but I think the, the governing reasons is the, the deep grief and resentment and the inability to let go of that is probably the main ones. Others can be looking for revenge in a sense or punishing the other, other parent by separating the children from a healthy relationship with the other parent. And parents seeing themselves in a war zone between each other instead of putting the children first. In that situation, how can parents go about not losing their minds when they know they've got to deal with their, their ex or, or have them in their lives ongoing? What are some things that they can do to help when things have got to that point? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that we, we need to be really aware about the thoughts that we entertain and then we just let sit inside us like rocks. That's what drives our actions, isn't it? So I think the first thing is understanding and embracing that divorce is the end of the couple relationship, not the parental relationship. That's crucial to remember. You don't divorce each other as parents. Obviously, I'm not referring to abusive situations where you do need to protect your children from physical and emotional and verbal danger. That's very different. But generally, 
It's really important to remember that you're not divorcing a parent, you're divorcing a partner. Yeah, that's helpful just to keep that in mind. And I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in the emotion that it would be very easy to lose sight of that. Yeah, that's right. Which leads well into the next one, which is define the state of your relationship with your ex-partner. The greater understanding that you have of where your relationship is at will give you an idea of the boundaries that you need to put in place. So define it. Is it high conflict? Are you able to talk about the kids schooling or expectations in each home? Can you have those conversations? Is your partner ringing up every five minutes and wanting to speak to the kids when it's your weekend? Are they bedded in your lives <laughs> like too much? Are they wanting to talk about issues that aren't children related, hanging on to a relationship that, that is non-existent? If those kind of things, if you're aware of those kind of things, then put some boundaries in place so that you can establish a safe and effective and healthy communication. Can counselling play a role as well in helping people put those boundaries in place? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thinking about if you have, if you've got a particularly difficult ex-partner or co-parent, let's say, for example, you've got a a narcissistic ex-partner or you've got someone who's quite unreasonable or they might be bad-mouthing you to the children, what are some of the things that you can do in that situation? In regards to the counselling question, a counsellor can help you work through gaining a greater understanding of yourself while you're going through this experience of change or changes. So that can be really helpful. And I think going through a divorce, separation, divorce and repartnering, you might repartner down down the track, it can really knock our understanding of what our role is now relationships, not just within the family and extended family, but our our community connections can be rocked. So counselling can really help ground us there. Communication skills, really, really important, especially when we're really heightened with anger and resentment and distress, to learn how to manage all of that and and communicate in a healthy way. Counselling benefits in that. How to support your children through transitions that come from separation, establishing healthy boundaries, and to manage high-level conflict to protect your children. So they're all the things that counselling can do. And then going back to your other question around narcissistic, that's a tough one. There is no magic answer to that, but I do have a couple of tips. The first thing is... As much as you possibly can, stay in the children's lives. Whatever it takes, stay in their lives, fight to stay in their lives and create an evidence base to show that, that you know, if a narcissistic parent or a controlling parent chooses the ex, chooses to use alienation as a way to have control over you and manipulate you and possibly even destroy you if that's their plan, then you work double time in looking at how can you be in their lives, stay in touch with the teachers at school, build relationships with with other people that are connecting with the children. 
their sports groups. Wherever they are, you try to be if there isn't a court order. If there's no court order saying you can't ring them, keep ringing them. A narcissist has this incredible power that they convince us that we can't battle them, that we can't challenge them. The best way to tackle and battle your issues with a narcissist is don't give them oxygen. Say nothing. Yeah, don't. Just really water off a duck's back because a narcissist survives through being able to control you and then it needs to be all about them. So if you're not engaging and you're not in their chaos, then it's not about them. It's not about them being in control. So they they have to have you engaging. Get legal advice. That's really important, particularly if you're in an alienating situation. If you can avoid court, but generally in situations where you're dealing with parents that are putting the children in in the middle, weaponizing the children to attack you, then get legal advice because it's important to protect the children in this situation. I think also being aware that the children are the victims in this, not so much us. So we feel the pain, you know, the kids are ripped from us. It's a struggle. I'm not saying that it's not hard and destructive in our own lives, but we can't lose sight that the children are the ones that suffer. They suffer mentally, the ability to be able to focus at school, their social skills are impacted by all of this. Don't forget that. That's really important. Never badmouth your partner, that's also important. And never have adult conversations around around parental relationships with your children because that's what a narcissist will do. They will constantly talk to their children about how great they are and how shocking a a parent is, the other parent is. So don't engage in that at all. And don't shame your children for repeating negative talk that they've heard their parents say. You know, have a conversation with them about it, but don't pull them up in a disciplinary way. They're being their parents' representative. They don't understand. Mm. Yeah, that that's such good advice. And I think it would be really difficult for the parent who's not a narcissist for example, who's who's dealing with a particularly difficult ex to keep their cool in those situations yes. and to yes. stay composed and not lose it in front of the kids and, and not get angry when they hear something out of their children's mouths. So it takes a lot of self-control. Sonia, I'd love to know what then does effective co-parenting look like? Assuming we've got two parties who are willing to collaborate in an effective way or cooperate effectively, what does that look like and what are some strategies that people can use to manage their situation? Positive co-parenting will look different for for everyone. So there is not one size fits all because every step family is different. So each parent and then the significant others, so the step parents, finding your jive, finding that sense of, yeah, we're, we're comfortable with this and our children are comfortable with this. 
And I think if you can confidently be able to say that and, and you can see that and you see that your children have healthy, positive relationships with all the parents and the significant others in the family, then I think that's a sign that you're on the right track. Where children feel safe and secure in both homes, even if, if they differ a little bit. So you can still have a positive co-parenting relationship, but the homes might still look a little bit different in terms of daily expectations. A few tips around what can be helpful to, to maintain a healthy connection with your, your co-parent is to have a parenting plan. So mediation can be really helpful with that and it avoids court and all, all of those things which can cause a lot of anger, resentment, frustration. So if you can do that, that's great. And you can you can work out what happens in each, each house, you know, just unpack what you're both prepared to agree on. The other thing is parenting apps. I don't know if you've heard of um, Two Houses is one or Our Parenting Wizard is is a very popular one that the judges will actually suggest in court to use. That is where you communicate through the app at all times. It's like an accountability thing because that information can be used if you do need to get a third party in, all of that information on on the app, it just keeps track of how you're treating one another. But it has great things on it. Like you can put things down like when the sports events are, when is um, your child going to get a special award at school, when their next doctor's appointment and dentist appointment's happening. And that can all go on the app. So if my former partner has got something special planned with the children or whatever, I can just look up in the calendar and I can see what the kids are up to and when and what the various activities they're doing and then I can I can work out where I'm going to be and if I can attend those. And so it's a wonderful way to communicate. Fantastic. I'm curious to go and have a look at that myself, actually, having a tool like that where you can have a central spot to keep communication is a fantastic idea. I'm thinking about whether it might it might even sync with tools like GCAL or others, yeah. something I'd love to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Just one other one. This came out in my research. Co-parenting I found from chatting to parents was more effective if the geographical distance wasn't so large. So it didn't mean that they had a poor relationship, but in terms of that real involvement of it might be 50-50 access, it, it might be, you know, making decisions together and, and that's what you both desire to do. If you're geographically a long, long way away from your children, you're out of their community and you're in your own community. So you're not engaging with the children's friends. So you're unable to, I'm not saying we should all live next door to our exes, but if we are, if we are a long way away, then our input into co-parenting will look different because we're, we're we're just not in their lives as much as the other parent. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. And I I think also from our personal perspective, from a logistics point of view, it makes it so much easier if the co-parent lives relatively close by as well in case someone's left a school hat or a school bag or something and you need to drop that round. It makes it much easier. A wonderful, quick little story. Not far from me, we we have um, a family who separated and the the father purchased the home across the street from the family home. So in the same street, directly across. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. get closer. <laughs> and whilst there was some, oh, is this going to work, it just, it was superb. It was beautiful. And the children, like you said, you know, they, they forgot something or, you know, they just run across the street and, and go and have dinner with dad and then come back. And they had a lot more input as to where they were on any given day, because really the only thing between each parent was, was crossing the road. Yes. Yeah. I love that. We've had some friends as well who've done the opposite where they keep the kids in the family home and the parents move out each week as well. So that's another way I've seen it work. That can be quite effective too with children who are on the spectrum and can't can't cope with too much change. And so being in the same home with with all things around them that are that are familiar and keeping that routine going for them is is really really helpful. So tell me about how factors like environments, roles and relationships might impact how parents work together in supporting their children. So I know you've talked a little bit about things like the geographic distance. Is there anything else to add around you know specific roles or or relationships that might play a role? When parents separate, they're all the unknowns that children are trying to grapple with. I think the biggest struggle or, or what can create insecurity in children around roles, relationships and the geographical distance that, that they have with their parents is that they are now questioning what their role and relationship is, where they fit. And so I think an important part of this is helping them understand that the parental-child relationship, while it is looking different, matters and is your first priority. That's really, really important. That can change in stages. So during the separation we can be completely absorbed in our own grief and pain, which is, uh, I'm not being judgmental in that, it's it's gut-wrenching, it's, it's like a death. So to be focused on where the children are at in that process can be difficult. Then when we're on our own, the relationship can change again and role can change again. And in my own adult grief, I may seek comfort in the children. You know, if I have a teenager that I'm particularly close with and I can chat with, then and so we have to be really careful because then that impacts the roles and relationship they have with the other parent. So so we have to be really wary of that. And then we repartner. So the child that felt like they became the confidant and the supporter of the parent 
now loses that huge responsibility and the parents spreading their time out between their partner and and the child. And so the child's starting to feel, well, am I as important? So we really have to be aware of what's happening for the children with with these change of roles and relationships. I'd love to know any top tips that you can you can leave us with that we might not have covered in our conversation so far today. Well, just a reminder that you're not separating as parents. So that that's the first one. The other one is that high conflict communication is what causes the damage, not necessarily the fa- the change in family status. Children adjust, but the damage is done in the conflict. Children need you both. They need you both, no matter how much you don't need them maybe, (laughs) always remember that they need you both and they see whoever they're living with and whoever's in the other home connected with the other parent is all family. So, you know, we need to be wary of that. We need to be understanding of that. But look, that's all we have time for today. How can listeners connect with you and also access your three published works as well that you've put out into the world? I have a private practice called Renewed Beliefs. You can get me on www.renewedbeliefs.com. And that's my website. And you'll, you'll be able to get the articles there. I also have written some blogs. You can just get in touch with me. I also write tip sheets as well. So, um, so there's a little bit more information available if people would like to get in touch with me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And we will link to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn.